the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to Monday's edition of the Football Social Daily. And here at FSD Towers, we have ourselves a Valentine's Day special. However, you find yourself spending those first precious few hours of this love-filled day, make sure you are doing it right and listening to the Football Social Daily. Before you do anything on Valentine's Day, make sure you're giving the podcast a listen. But... I think it's fair to say, as a bit of a disclaimer, if you're actually hoping for anything insightful or useful about either love or football, then you're probably listening to the wrong podcast, so you can stop listening now. Uh, Despite the love floating through the air this morning, one person who is not feeling the love right now is Leicester City boss Brendan Rodgers. In part one, we'll be reviewing last night's two-all draw with West Ham as the Foxes' struggles roll on for yet another week. In part two, it's slightly more angry version of love in probably the only way that Antonio Conte can actually love you as he rages against Tottenham following their third straight Premier League defeat this weekend. And then to wrap it all up, we have Monday's edition of Get In The Sea as the guys take a break from all that lovey-dovey nonsense to tell us what has spoiled their weekend of Premier League action. Right then, my name's Fergal Brennan and taking a break from blowing bubbles to blow us a few kisses this morning, we have our own happy hammer, Jim Salverson. Jim, how are you doing? I was slightly wonder, worried about where you were going to go with blowing then. <laughs> keep it PG. Keep it, it on PG. the right side. I'd like to say that I think I do have some insight when it comes to love. I've been, I've been married 14 years, Fergal. I must be doing something right. It's got to be something good going on there. Okay, all right. Well, then I, I listen. I stand corrected. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to second guess you on that. We'll try and slot that in a little bit of love advice uh, for anyone that does want a bit of love advice. Jim is apparently the man to go to. Um, alongside Jim, we have someone who has mysteriously just posted a very late Valentine's card to a Mister K Trippier living somewhere in the Newcastle area. Marley Anderson. Marley, how are we doing? <laughs> Yeah, good. I'll buy him. I'll buy him dinner anytime. Uh, Greg's on me when Kieran Trippier keeps scoring free <laughs> kicks every uh, every weekend. So yeah, happy days. Uh, never let it be said that Marley doesn't know how to treat someone on Valentine's Day. Greg's all round. Uh, I think I speak on behalf of everyone when I say Marley's partner. You're a very, very lucky woman. Greg's whenever you want it. Um, right, let's get started from uh, from last night's action. West Ham two, Leicester two at the King Power. As obviously Jim is a Hammers fan, we're going to have you, Marley, as a de facto Leicester fan. So I'm going to go to you on Leicester. Just a kind of difficult situation again to gauge for Brendan Rodgers. On the one hand, Leicester was seconds away from a first Premier League win in 2022. But despite probably edging it in terms of chances, they got what they deserved in the end. Craig Dawson with a controversial, shall we say, added time equaliser to make it two all. It it just seems much and much of the same with Brendan Rodgers. We chatted about Leicester on Monday's show last week when they got knocked out of the FA Cup. A similar just frustration and consistency that keeps rolling on. One clean sheet in all competitions since Christmas. Patched up defence again exposed. Jared Bowen's opening goal was just a straight ball over the top and they got caught out. And then yet another set piece. No one has conceded more goals from set pieces than Leicester in the Premier League this season. And yes, it was a late, late goal for West Ham, but probably Leicester got what they deserved. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people were you know, expecting West Ham to kind of roll over Leicester with, with all the sort of um, stuff that's going on. 
at the King Power these days, you know, they're, they're very much in a situation where you don't expect them to win win games when when match day rolls around. But um, they they dug in and they 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 showed that they've got a bit of they've got talent in that squad. There's no doubt about it. They've probably got a more talented squad man for man than than West Ham probably, um, or at least it's level. So you're looking at that and thinking like you know they should they should turn up a performance. But has has the belief in the manager gone? Um, and 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 are we sort of coming to the end of that? Like the beginning of the end of of Rogers almost. But I think the performance was was pretty good for 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 where Leicester have been for the last few uh, weeks anyway. So they uh, they did all right. They stuck in. They were unlucky not to win it uh, at the end. But you know when you start with two, well, a defensive midfielder and a um, and a converted like not first choice centre back at centre back, then you you are always gonna be liable to conceding goals. So um, that's that's ultimately where they came unstuck, I suppose. And looking at where they could potentially go this summer, we know that in the last two seasons they've been on the verge of getting into the Champions League. They've fallen just short, gone into the Europa. It hasn't gone particularly well for them there this season. And the expectation at the start of the campaign was that maybe this was the year but actually it's gone in the opposite direction where they've kind of gone a little bit stale. There was a, an article in The Telegraph this morning from Luke Edwards saying that he thinks they've now hit their ceiling, that players who've maybe been performing above themselves, obviously Jamie Vardy doing his Benjamin Button impression and just still running past defenders and banging in goals. He's missed a couple of big chunks of the season with, uh, with injury. And Leicester now have probably arguably found their level and, and that'll mean that there's going to be questions over certain players this summer. Yuri Tielemans has been linked with it with a move away and there was an interesting one during the game where the commentator said seconds after he tucked in the penalty to equalise, oh, he'll be off in the summer. That kind of sums up a little bit of the mood around Leicester at the moment that as well as the anxiety about performances, there's anxiety about the future because someone's probably going to come knocking for Tielemans. There's going to be other players that teams are interested in, particularly if they don't uh, make Europe. Is that the direction it's going in, that if they miss out on Europe, Europa League or Champions League, that they could find themselves getting picked apart? Yeah, um, it's a possibility. I think the way Rodgers has, has um, handled this, this Tielemans situation is a bit strange. When I think it was a few weeks ago now when he came out and said... You know, it's it's a short career, and if Tielemans wants to leave, then um, we can't really stop him. And I, th- I just thought that was a bit telling because usually you don't say that about a player you're absolutely determined um, to keep. So maybe, yeah, um, you know, there's always links with with Madison um, possibly leaving. He he gets linked to Arsenal every uh, every summer, um, and and other other teams randomly come in for him as well so maybe um, Harvey Barnes will probably attract interest um, I, other than that I mean, Ndidi maybe as well that'd be the one I'd be wor- worried about because I, I look at Man United and say if you need a ball winning midfielder and you don't want to pay for mm. Declan Rice I'd go straight for Ndidi who I think is one of the best holding midfielders in the league to be honest so Maybe um, it's that's why it's so important right now for for Leicester to to sort of overcome this this sticky patch because the longer it goes on, the more your players are almost in the shop window. And with four months left, yeah. or three months left of the season, you know Leicester have have been to the very edge of the Champions League. So clubs looking at them know that the players are good enough to to do something. 
um, and they can possibly go and uh, and and you know, grab themselves a bargain sort of thing. Uh, looking at West Ham in terms of how the result impacts them, Jim, a point on the board. It's not been a great couple of weeks for them, just one Premier League win in the last four, but Chelsea playing in the Club World Cup, United drawing and Arsenal not playing has meant that the top four pitch hasn't really changed. They're still in fourth, six points behind Chelsea with a game in hand. And the late goal was the big talking point from a West Ham perspective in terms of getting the draw. And Craig Dawson finds himself on the right side of this new interpretation of the handball law in the Premier League this season. To all of us looking at this from the naked eye, this is a really controversial one. Comes off the sleeve of his shirt, goes past Kasper Schmeichel. It's a draw. It's a point for West Ham, who probably looked as if West uh, Liverpool were going to scrap at Liverpool. Leicester were going to scrap and scrape and, and get three points. Did they need this bit of luck? Obviously, the law we now know is causing lots of controversy. Craig Dawson, technically, in the eyes of this new interpretation, didn't do anything wrong. What, what was your take on it? I don't think it's luck and I don't think there's anything like it's not a technicality he's got away with there are rules around what is and isn't handball that were changed at the start of the season and if it hits anything above the sleeve line I think was the official term it's not handball so you can be offside with that part of your body it makes sense that you can score with that part of your body as well whether the rule change is right or not is probably another debating point it kind of feels like it shouldn't be allowed and if it was a goal that went the other way I think I'd probably be a little bit upset, mm. but by the letter of the law, it was a goal. And I actually think a draw is probably what West Ham deserved out of that. I thought Leicester were really poor in the first half. They didn't really offer anything. They seemed to be defending too deep and just inviting pressure onto themselves. Second half, they looked like they had a lot more about them and they deserved their two goals. So I don't think either manager can be too disappointed with a draw at the end of this one I'm slightly worried about West Ham at the moment if I'm honest mm. I think we've been poor for a few weeks now I don't think we've kind of been scraping and scrapping for results and had some decent points and wins like the Watford game last week it was good to get three points but the performance in truth was pretty uninspiring and then you look back to the Kidderminster Harriers game as well in the FA Cup and there was very little to talk about there so they seem to be limping across the line at the moment in terms of getting that top four position I have no belief they will be in those top four places come the end of the season I think the the chasing pack the not Spurs but certainly Manchester United and Arsenal with the games they've got in hand they will leap above West Ham as the season goes on because West Ham are looking a little bit leggy at the moment and there's still a long way to go from a, a centre-back that made a really positive impact on the pitch, Craig Dawson, to one that didn't actually get on and is attracting all sorts of negative headlines at the moment. Kurt Zuma was pulled out of the starting lineup due to a stomach bug. Issa Diop came in and, and started the game for West Ham at Leicester yesterday. And David Moyes finds himself answering yet more questions about Zuma and the situation that he finds himself in. Niall did a, a brilliant pod last week where they went into detail surrounding the, the case involving Kurt Zuma, the police and, and the RSPCA. So we're, we're not going to go into too much detail on that we all know what has gone on and what the situation is but I just wanted to ask you what an impact this is having on West Ham we know that there's so much attention focused on Zuma focused on Moyes and, and West Ham's dealing of the situation as you've just mentioned West Ham are not in the greatest point in their season how much is this having an impact on the pitch on the training ground surrounding the club because David Moyes is spending as much time answering questions about Kurt Zuma and the club's plans to deal with the situation as he is about their performances. Is this having an overall impact on West Ham at the moment? Purely talking in footballing terms, I don't think it does at the moment. And potentially, again, 
purely in footballing terms. I don't want what I'm about to say to be taken out of context, but it could even be a positive for David Moyes because they aren't talking about the poor level of football that's being played at the moment. It is a distraction to the to the detriment of the football club and it is not a good look PR-wise, but actually he's not talking about his players maybe not performing as well as they could have. He's not talking about his failure to bring in any centre-back reinforcements, which now look more important than ever, or any new strike force or anything like that. So it's probably not too much of an issue. I'm sure David Moyes doesn't want to be talking about Kurt Zuma and asking, answering questions about kicking cats and whatnot in his press conferences but that's where we are and it's kind of the club's failure to deal with the situation swiftly and properly in the first place that has led to this scenario but whether that's David Moyes' fault and I don't think it is or not that's a completely different question because I don't think it would be fair to expect David Moyes to have directly taken action in this scenario I think that action has to come from somewhere else be it a official charge from the police or an RSPCA or wherever mm. it is or be it the board actually making some kind of decision and saying look we're going to take this player out of the limelight we're going to suspend him from two weeks or whatever it is but I think David Moyes' job is to pick the players he has available and at the moment Kurt Zuma is still available so it's right that he should have been picking him um, back to another positive to wrap up from a West Ham perspective, Jim. Another goal and another assist for Jared Bowen. His brilliant form uh, this season continues. Eight goals and four assists in his last 11 across all competitions and eight goals and eight assists in the Premier League. As it stands, only Mo Salah has better joint numbers in terms of goals and assists added together. He's, he's absolutely flying. There's all this talk that he's going to get called up for England. Based on this form, being called up for England is probably secondary he's playing that well he's almost certain to get called up for England is he possibly in with a shout of, of player of the season because Mo Salah has been fantastic there's talk of form wise that he's the best player in the world at the moment with Ronaldo and Messi maybe kind of dropping off and coming towards the end of their career could Bowen be a bit of a wild card shout he has been brilliant every time I watch West Ham he is front row and centre of what they do right he's always creating store for gets a goal and he gets important goals as well if he carries this on and even if Salah carries on his own brilliant form could Bowen challenge him between now and the end of the season nah <laughs> no not at all you're not I, I, purely purely because I don't think he's fashionable enough I just can't so imagine it's a, perception a player thing. I think so. I can't imagine a player at West Ham, let alone a player like Jared Bowen, Scott who Parker, was playing it? for what Premier League Player of the Season. Yeah, did he? I don't he remember I, that. I Maybe think, so. I remember he won Hammer of the Year. No, a few did. times actually. I think he won it the season that West Ham got relegated. Really? I'm going to Google this. I'm going to fact <laughs> check this while you're while you're talking. Fake Jim, news. Ahead. But I don't think he's got that. I mean, to be honest with you, I think he has. A, he, has he is having an absolutely stunning season for us. And when he came from Hull, there were doubts as to whether he could score goals and get assists in the league. And what's really impressed me about him this year is his performances haven't just come from his natural position. So he is a really talented, kind of right-sided attacking midfielder. But there's been a few games where he's led the line as well in Mikel Antonio's absence. And he's done a real good job there, even to the extent of... Because he doesn't look like the biggest lad in the world, does he? But he's quite good at holding up the ball and bringing others into play as well. But that said... And the season he's having is fantastic. I still don't think he's the most important player in that West Ham team. I think Declan Rice, his performances this year have been superb as well. He's added a level to his game. He's no longer a holding defensive midfielder playing a quarterback role. He drives the team forward. He is kind of box to box. He is all action and he's added goals to his game as well. So if you're talking about players of the season, 
I think Declan Rice is probably above Jared Bowen in terms of that accolade. In terms of England call-ups, again, I think he deserves an England call-up. I question whether he will get an England call-up, and if he does, will it be one of those tokenistic ones that Southgate seems to be a bit of a fan of handing out from time and time, where... Still in England, got though, isn't it? Well, it's okay. It comes into the squad, but it's whether he actually plays and who he plays against is yeah. kind of a, is the question because yeah, but, it is an well, area. That's international football all over, though, isn't it? Like yeah, ninety-nine percent so. of international football <laughs> is just rubbish. It's yeah, hammering San Marino on a Tuesday night when no one's watching. But he does deserve it, and it'll add mm. ten million quid to his price tag when he goes to Liverpool in the summer. So that's all good. <laughs> um, old Jim of Little Faith, you'll uh, you'll never question Scott Parker again. I knew I was I wasn't just imagining this. 2010-11, despite West Ham finishing bottom and getting relegated, Scott Parker scored five Premier League goals in 32 games. Prolific. I was slightly wrong. He didn't. He didn't win. He, did, he didn't win PFA Player of the Year. He won Football Writers Player of the Year. So the real, the real characters that know these things, people like ourselves, journalists, voted for Scott Parker. Does that uh, does that fill you with pride, Jim? I'm I'm sorry I ever doubted Scott Parker and his <laughs> 1940s haircut. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's fair enough for Scott Parker. I mean, that was a bit of a bold shout. I just knew that was stuck in the in the back of the brain box there somewhere. So fair play to Scott Parker. Well done. Congratulations and all the rest of it. Right, we're going to take a quick break here on the Football Social Daily. After the break, we are talking Tottenham. Third defeat in a row for Antonio Conte this weekend as they slipped up against Wolves. And Antonio Conte has been basically boasting about how he's normally used to working with better players. We expect that to go down brilliantly with Spurs fans in the next few weeks so we're going to be getting stuck into all of that in just a second Football Social Daily Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City Go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda You never have to miss a trip ever again So download the Priceline app today Your savings are waiting Go to your happy place For a happy price Go to your happy price Priceline Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. We are reviewing the Premier League action from the last weekend. Obviously, Sunday night is big time in terms of review shows. Myself, Ty Marshall and Steve McInerney getting stuck into all of the action from last night. And in part one of this podcast, we talked about the Sunday evening game with West Ham grabbing a late, late point at Leicester. Normally on a Monday, we try and take a bit of a deep dive into one of the stories from the weekend. And that's where we're focusing in part two of the show. And it's Antonio Conte and Tottenham. Jim, I'm going to throw this over to you first. Obviously, you're no fan of Spurs being a being a West Ham supporter. Third defeat in a row for Antonio Conte in the Premier League. I'm sure as a West Ham fan, you uh, took a little bit of pleasure in that. 2-0 defeat against Wolves this weekend. They were, they were poor. They were bad at the back. They didn't really create a lot of chances going forward. And... The interesting thing really is Antonio's Conte, Antonio Conte's comments 
after the game when he talked about their top four chances. He said, it's currently impossible for us to make it into the top four based on our form. We're giving away too many points. We're giving away too many goals and it's just not good enough. He then went on to make a slightly correct but bizarre claim where he said one of the reasons that he's finding it difficult at the moment is that he's used to working with teams that are already playing in Europe or that are used to competing for European competition. Now, this taken out of context makes Conte look quite bad. But in reality, what he's saying is not completely inaccurate. He is used to working with Chelsea, Inter Milan, Juventus, etc. Tottenham are not at that level. And all the positivity around not losing a Premier League game in his first two and a half months in charge has now gone away. And they're in a terrible run of form, which when this happened to Nuno Santo, he got himself sacked. I think... He's right, though, Antonio Conte, in terms of the players he's got at his disposal. They're just not good enough. And I guess the question is, for Daniel Levy and the Spurs board, is do they give him enough time and enough money to rebuild that squad? And if they are going to give him the money, where does that money come from? Because Harry Kane has gone completely off the boil this season, and... I've no doubt he will find his form again, but he had chances to score against Wolverhampton Wanderers that previously he would have gobbled up with ease and he just wasn't able to get those goals. So do you cash in and use that money to rebuild his squad? Because there is a massive rebuilding job to do at Spurs at the moment, particularly at the back. And I think all our expectations were when Conte came to Spurs, they would become difficult to break down. They would become solid. And that seemed to be the case for the kind of first couple of months of Conte's reign, he conceded. There's a great stat, actually, I saw, that in his first nine games of Spurs boss, Spurs conceded six. In the last three games of Spurs boss, they've conceded seven. So more goals in the last three than they did in the previous nine. And you'd expect that to go the other way with Conte. You'd expect the more time he's having with the players, the more time he's coaching them on the training pitch, the better they'd get at keeping the ball out of the net. But they just don't seem to be able to do that. And it's difficult to see how a defence with Davison Sanchez in the middle of it can do that because they just don't seem to have the personnel. They don't seem to have the quality. And I'm not entirely sure why that wasn't a focus of their strengthening in January. But it certainly looks like Conte needs a couple more windows to get the squad he wants or the squad he expects. Whether he's given the time and money, as I say, to do that is a completely different question. Marley, is this still kind of a sense that maybe from the base point, if you strip all this away and you, you rewind back to October, November, when Nuno Santo was sacked from his position as, as Tottenham manager and there was huge speculation over who would come in. There was talk that Maurizio Pochettino might even come back. Antonio Conte was appointed. He is a manager that has this kind of, I suppose you'd say, cliche of guaranteed success. Wherever he goes, he wins trophies and he tends to turn things around quite quickly. Tottenham, as Jim said, are not good enough to be turned around quickly. They need surgery in key areas in the team. They probably need investment. Harry Kane clearly wanted to leave in the summer. He's had his arm twisted a little bit to stay at the club. Antonio Conte is not the type of manager to come in, stay for three, four, five seasons, create a project, build a team, build a way of playing. He's someone that zaps a high-level performing team back into life with international players used to playing in the Champions League and used to winning things. So, Despite the fact that he is a very, very good manager and Tottenham do have good players scattered through their team, is he the is he the wrong choice? Ultimately, is this going to come back to bite Spurs? Because just placing two talented things next to each other doesn't necessarily equal a winning result. Uh, I, I, still, I think he's the right choice because he's the, he's the best one out there for them. Um, he was clearly the best manager that was available. And the things he's done in the... 
in the game so far suggests that he could be a success. Like Spurs, they have got the the financial means to compete. Um, they've got the infrastructure. They've got a lot of um, things there to be um, positive about and stuff like that. They just they just need work on the pitch. Like they have got talent there, but it just needs harnessing. And I think there's. They're still in a bit of a transition period. I think no one's fully used to Conte yet. This thirty-year transition period for Spurs is dragging, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it is no, yeah, it is notoriously hard to get out of this thing. Yeah, it's but, like the longest house move in history. Yeah, it's like when you're waiting for your yeah your searches to come back and your deeds to go through. It's a bit of a nightmare, but it you know this is what's going to be you know the the issue for Spurs. You know, it's um it's hard. To, to get out of this, it's hard to have instant success. And I mean, Daniel Levy loves nothing more than instant success or instant profit. So, you know, it it is going to take time. And someone someone somewhere has to realise that. Whether, I think Conte is starting to realise that as weeks go by. He's realising that this squad is further away than he thought it was last week. And it seems to be every, every Saturday or every Sunday, whenever they play, it's like, Christ, we've got work to do. Um, I mean, he gives Sessignon a chance at the weekend, hooked him off after 25 minutes, mm. and it's you can sell, you can see that frustration with him. Like that's a player whose confidence is just shot, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. he needs he needs a he needs a move to be fair, and he? he needs a, it, it was a bad move to go to Spurs, even though it seemed like a good one at the time. Um, but look at the so look at but, Spurs yeah. starting eleven yesterday. You can't tell me a player in that starting eleven. With the exception of maybe Harry Kane, and certainly not the Harry Kane on form at the moment, but you can't tell me a player in that starting eleven that would walk into top four, traditional yeah. top four Premier League sides. They're not good enough. Maybe maybe Son, again, potentially he'd get a a, a place in some. But they just, they're man to man, one to eleven, they just haven't got the talent. They just haven't got the depth or the quality at the moment, I don't think. Jim, this is what I wanted to ask. Is this is this the kind of base of the problem, that it's a perception issue? And, and Conte, in a kind of straightforward, no messing around, no frills way, has, has demonstrated this in his post-match yesterday. Because you look at the team, yeah, the bulk of them are internationals. The bulk of them have got lots of Premier League experience. They've been around the block for Tottenham or for other clubs. But in terms of quality... They are lacking, but we all just make this assumption that, oh, Tottenham, you know, the round and about top four, they'll probably get Europa, they'll be in the conversation. Antonio Conte is a brilliant manager. Logically, he'll take them up at another level or two. But these things don't work in practice because structurally there's issues in the team. We saw yesterday dreadful defending for both goals that they conceded. It could have been four or five before half time. That everyone just assumes Tottenham have a kind of rest mm. in place within the Premier League, but they actually don't. I think maybe that is the assumption that's been made, that they are a big club and they're owed a place in the top four, top six. That just isn't the case anymore. And I don't quite know what Conte is hoping to achieve with his press match comments about the team not being good enough because there's nothing he can do about it now. The transfer window's finished. Mm. He's got until the summer and he's got the same 25-man squad until that point, until he can make transfers. So is he trying to criticise them to get a reaction? Does he want them to prove they're worth a place in the squad? Potentially, is it a message to Daniel Levy going, look, you didn't back me in this window just gone, I need money if you want me to achieve? But it's a really weird scenario. But at the same time, I've just spent five minutes slagging off the Spurs 11 last night. If you look at the Spurs 11 and the Wolves 11, you'd still expect Tottenham to get a result out of that. And that's, I think, 
an indication of what good coaching well, one, can be. One of them is a team and a unit, and one of them well, is not. Well, that's it. You've got Bruno Large has done a brilliant job at Wolves, and he has made them incredibly tough to break down. And they have conceded less goals than any other team in the Premier League. They don't score many, but that's not what he's there to do. He's there mm. to sort of grind out results. Yeah. And that is a demonstration of what coaching can do and what go- good coaching can do. You make the best with what you've got. So if Conte kind of pointing out that he hasn't got the team to be able to play the way he wants to, surely that's him almost not deliberately, but almost pointing the finger at himself and going, these are my failings. I should be doing better in this position. I think to slightly steal your point, Jim, because I, I do agree this idea that when you look at the 11s and the squads and who would play at a higher level and who would play for a Champions League side, nobody in the Wolves team would either play for a top four side, maybe Raul Jimenez. But as you say, quite rightly, that demonstrates then that the, the common denominator there is coaching and management and the good job that Bruno Lage has done after replacing Nuno Santo. But ironically, Antonio Conte, who's also replaced Nuno Santo, is is not having it easy. Um, Marley, before we take a break, I want to look at Spurs' run to come in the next few weeks. They've got four away games in a row between now and the end of the month. Man City away next weekend. Burnley <clears throat> away, who we know scrapping for their lives down at the bottom of the table. Leeds, who are also potentially on the edge of getting sucked into a relegation battle. And then they go to Middlesbrough in the FA Cup, who knocked out Man United. Where do we see this going for Tottenham in the next month? Because if they don't come out of that run of games with a positive amount of results, they're definitely out of the top four race and they're hanging on in the Europa League race. How do you think this is going to shake down for Tottenham in the next month? Oof. Well, it's, it's, it's almost like make or break, I think, because a month ago, or probably less than a month, we were talking about, you know, if, if Spurs win all their games in hand, they, they are well in charge of, uh, of fourth place, that, that, that race for fourth. And, they're on the verge of third if they can if they can win those games. But not a single person listening to this podcast or listening to well, just any football fan anywhere expected them to win those games. And here we are four games later and they've won, what, one of the four or whatever it is. And now the games are getting harder and they've got less games in hand. Um, so this is like proper crunch time now for Spurs. They have to improve quickly or get left behind. And that's... That's been Spurs for for a couple of years, you know, um, threatening to get left behind, having a bit of success and then saying, you know what, we could actually do something here if we invest right and get things right and get the right manager. And then things went tits up with Pochettino and then, you know, the wrong decision was made with Santo and now they've got Conte and they've kind of like wasted their opportunity, I think. And it's only going to get worse because you've still got the Kane situation, which isn't isn't sorting itself out. Does he still want to leave? We don't know yet. Um, does City still want to buy him? If 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 that is the case, we don't know. Um, so you're looking at the sort of this this rest of this season and saying this is like crunch time now because Conte is going to decimate that squad if he can in the summer if he's still there and everyone's on the same page in the in the sort of running of the club perspective. So you're looking at that and saying like that is this is crunch time now for Spurs. You have to win. You know what their next six games or four of the next six games to even still be in that conversation because Spurs are only going backwards at the minute and by standing still you are, you do end up going backwards so that is uh, it's huge this next few few months or few games now for Spurs yeah, an absolutely massive month coming up for them. And I can say as an Arsenal fan, I'm sure Jim will say this as a West Ham fan. I'm not saying this with a smile on my face. I promise you can't see my face. I'm not smiling. But I have been hearing for the last 10, 15 years that this is Tottenham season where they're going to break through. <laughs> and it just feels like rinse and it's repeat. Like, copy it's like when Liverpool used to say it and they've been saying it for 30 years until they got it right. <laughs> 
It does, it only, but... It only I took would, a global I, pandemic to, to sort it out and get them over the line. I would issue a word of warning on that, that if we're going to apply the same logic to that, then Tottenham could win the league and, and mine and Jim's life would be made pretty unbearable. So nobody wants that except for Tottenham fans. So let's uh, let's see how the next month goes and let's see if they can win a few games before we start talking about title challenges. Right, we are going to grab a quick break. After the break, it is get in the sea, Premier League style. We did it with the FA Cup last weekend, but now the day job of the Premier League is back. Myself, Jim and Marley need no opportunity to stick the knife in on the Premier League and we've each got something that has riled us up this weekend to talk about. We'll be back in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily. Just a quick reminder, as always here on Football Social Daily, we are your daily source of all things Premier League. If you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get access to a brand new show every single day. Every day of the Premier League season, we are here with a daily fresh podcast for you to check out. Right, get in the sea time. I'm looking forward to this, despite the fact that it's a bit of a lovey-dovey day and uh, we're going to be whispering sweet nothings for the rest of the day. You've got a little block now to moan and throw something in the sea. So, Jim, I'm going to go to you first. Get in the sea, Premier League style. What has annoyed you this weekend? No love here. It's a podcast full of vitriol and hate. <laughs> so That's the I'm spirit. Gonna, I'm going to start off by having a go at football fans. <laughs> wow. Uh, all of them. You've got, you got to know them. our audience here. Our yeah, audience yeah. is football fans. <laughs> all of you. You're all <laughs> f- <laughs> no, football fans. So particularly f- fickle football fans. And I think this is largely driven by social media, but it's also driven by match-going fans. It has kind of creeped into all corners of football. And I saw this with West Ham fans on Twitter watching the Southampton game at the weekend. The way they lay into Mikel Antonio each and every week at the moment because he's not scoring goals. When earlier on in the season he was being heralded as the best striker outside the top four in the league and now he's gone and he's not fit enough and he needs to be rested and he needs to be dropped etc etc etc. They've also been hammering Aaron Cresswell for his handball which gave away the penalty to Leicester saying oh he should be dropped he should be out of there and yet a few months ago everyone was saying how much we missed him when he was out injured and that's just a microcosm in one game of how fickle football fans can be they seem to judge each player on the 90 minutes of football that has just happened rather than the preceding months or preceding career and it started to wind me up a little bit it was particularly demonstrated this weekend just gone with Raheem Sterling now I was at the City game when they played Fulham in the FA Cup and I was sitting next to a couple of older guys so they would have seen City in the main road days I reckon the bad days the bad old days days. they were very negative throughout the whole game to everyone but particularly Raheem Sterling they were vitriolic about him and his finishing and how he's finished at City and now they he needs to leave and basically they, they didn't seem to like him as a player or appreciate what he'd done for the club previously and then this weekend obviously it wasn't the same guys posting but he scores his hat trick and I saw so many messages going oh he's back to his best he's one of the greatest wingers in the league etc etc either way you look at it good or bad 
I think we need to start judging players away from the 90 minutes they've just performed on mm. the pitch. They need to be judged over seasons. They need to be judged over careers. And more importantly than any of that, if you are the fan of a football team, be it Newcastle or West Ham or Manchester City or Arsenal or whoever it is, just support the players. If they're playing badly, if they're suffering for form, they deserve support rather than being criticised and booed because they will see these messages on social media. They will see people shouting at them or hear people shouting at them for the crowd and that negatively impacts their performances. We all know what it's like when we play five aside. If you have a couple of bad touches or miss a couple of sitters, which I frequently do, it affects your confidence <laughs> and you start to play badly. You go inwards to yourself. So this is I all a think... personal uh, story, yeah. isn't it, this, Jim? Yeah. This is, this the... is what we've come full circle thinking... now. How many how many people come to watch you play five aside that they'd be that they'd be shouting at you, Jim? It's my teammates. in the big crowd. <laughs> oh right, okay. <laughs> just just me at the side of the cage going, Jim, you crap booing me. Boo get off. like an elephant. Yeah, so let's let's stop being so fickle. Let's stop judging players so instantly from one game to the next and from one half to the next either. Let's look at it more holistically and support our teams through thick and thin. So that is my get in the sea. Fickle football fans, get in the sea. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it needs to be a top uh, down to bottom approach from City fans booing Raheem Sterling to fellas turning up at Power League and booing Jim. Everybody just stop it. <laughs> yeah, stop particularly it. the latter anybody. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's not helping anybody. Um, Marley, you've had a bit of a dig around and gone for a financial angled get in the sea, uh, one that's become quite fashionable in the last few weeks. I have, yeah. Um, I've gone for something that's been winding me up for a little while now. Um, and I've been sort of waiting to to dig it out on the podcast in in this exact feature, which is the the newly found craze of NFTs. Um, and I am a bit like I'm only thirty, but I'm a bit a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to things like this. These newfound cryptocurrency hipster type things that are coming in. Um, and NFTs, like I've, I had to Google a few weeks ago what an NFT was. Basically, it's a non-fungible token, and a non-fungible token is something that is entirely unique to you. For example, like your iPhone 12 is your iPhone 12. Like if if That's me and you, Fergal, had an iPhone 12 <laughs> and we swapped, yeah. we'd have different things on it. I see that you're an us. expert on this now, Marley. Yeah. yeah, but that that is what it is, basically. However, what I don't understand and what I don't agree with is how it's being pushed into football via these bizarre um, display pictures on Twitter um, and everyone's all of a sudden an ape or uh, some sort of like a goat or a sheep or something it's like some crappy little 8 bit type display picture and it's like oh this is my NFT I've joined an NFT family um, mint, mint your NFTs here and it's like I don't really I don't really have much of a problem with it until I think about people who will consume this because of who's pushing it and that's that's my issue with mm. it right so when I'm when I'm seeing these things like I I've got no doubt that NFTs will become a part of um sort of society and and life going forward however when I when I see something new coming in I always look at like who's pushing it and I'm seeing people like John Terry pushing it, and I just think John Terry is thick. Like I don't, I don't agree with um, people. Like a lot of people will mindlessly follow John Terry because he says this ape NFT is is cool. And putting aside the fact that John Terry pushing something which is an ape 
considering his history, really does great on me as well. Um, I don't like how people can just be easily led and people will be like buying NFTs left, right and centre for like hundreds or thousands of pounds. And then ultimately when they don't have the same access to expert advice like he will, they will lose money and he will make money. And I, I just don't like where it's going. I don't see the the um, the, the the link between owning your own thing and then John Terry and, you know, not just him, the dozens and, and hundreds of others having these weird profile pictures. I don't understand how that makes anything, like, worth it, you know what I mean? It's just, it's really strange. And I think a lot of people, more people are going to lose money than people are going to make money. And the people that will make money, it's like anything, the people that will make money out of it are the people that are already rich and don't need this money because they will have the opportunities that, the normal person won't, and if I, if I mint or whatever my artwork of me sitting in the studio, no one's gonna buy it. Whereas if somebody mints a picture of John Terry, then you know he's gonna get the the royalties from it or what, however it works. Um, and yeah, I just I just don't like it. But the one thing I did love about it was the fact that the Premier League. Um, opened and was taking legal advice because John Terry had in his profile picture of this this funny ape thing um, the the picture of the Europa League the Champions League and the Premier League and the Premier League said hang on have you got the image rights to use our trophy on your picture which was just I thought was the ultimate irony <laughs> that a guy who has got his one of a kind picture was potentially being <laughs> being sued for a copyright of the Premier League trophy, which he didn't have permission to use. Which I just thought was the the thing that should bring this whole craze crossover with football down. I just find it mad when you kind of measure it against what retired footballers used to be. Obviously, it's, it's a controversial concept, NFTs, and, and what sort of an impact they're going to have on football. But you think back to the 80s and even the early 90s when there wasn't as much money floating around and, and players would retire and you'd have, I don't know, Emlyn Hughes trying to sell you a Hoover, Peter Reid on like a milk or a bread advert. That's what they had to do then. You know, John Terry... Just open easy, a pub. You know, pe- that's what, that's what retired yeah, just, footballers oh, yeah, like, do. Exactly, it just sounds so mad. Peter Reid ran so John Terry could walk. That's my kind of take on on the NFT situation. Um, my get in the sea is is less high profile than Marley's and a bit more straightforward, and it involves Ralph versus Ralph from the weekend. Southampton <laughs> getting a point at Old Trafford, and Jermaine Genus. I like Jermaine Genus. Obviously, match of the day pundit. I, I do think he's quite good. I think he's obviously a fresher Premier League voice on match of the day than than other some of the dinosaurs that they get on occasionally. But he. He does sometimes kind of try and chase a big comment that he'll then be talked about online on social media. And he basically called out Ralph Harsenhutl for criticising Manchester United. Harsenhutl basically said that he knew United players wouldn't be running backwards with as much intensity. And that's where Southampton could get something from the game. And obviously... Che Adams popped up and got them an equaliser, got them a point away from home. And there's big questions still about Manchester United. But Ralph Rangnick was asked a relatively straightforward question by a journalist in his post-match press conference of how did you get at United? How did you know you were going to get a result? He answered it based on the coaching and tactics that he does in training every day to prepare them to go to Manchester United. And the fact that 
maybe he was a little bit more honest than some of the sanitised answers that you get in a post-match press conference. This has exploded and bizarrely, Jermaine Genus has kind of ridden to the rescue, not necessarily of Manchester United, but of the, the sanctity of press conferences. And the, the bit that really kind of irked me about this was Genus's advice. And he had a few words with Danny Murphy about it. And he said that Hasenhutl should have just deflected or ignored the question, concentrated on Southampton and talked about his own team. Now, I can say this as a journalist and, and you guys have, have you know been to press conferences and done interviews. If a manager doesn't answer your question, then there's no point in asking it. And Jermaine Genus wants to form a career in football media and he's basically saying to journalists, don't ask certain questions and to people that are answering the questions, don't answer them. So I just I just think it's absolutely bizarre. And as I say, I do like Genus and I think he's one of the better match of the day pundits, but I just thought this was a weird hill for him to die on this weekend. But you live and learn and uh, maybe Jermaine Genus will kind of change tact next week and, uh, and go after someone else because Ralph Harsenhutler is a, a strange person and a huge person to be picking a fight with. So that's my pick for I getting... I do slightly this. agree with what he's saying in terms of the questions that some journalists ask football managers, though, because there's a balance, isn't there? There's a balance between the, oh, do you have an, an injury update on XYZ, which no one's really that interested in. It never. But he didn't go to town on United. He just said they don't track back. Mm, I, 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 I suppose, yeah, that's not a particularly good example. But I do think there's occasionally some questions that are asked by journalists in these press conferences that are asked with purely the intention of tripping up a manager and getting a back page headline of some kind which I guess is part of their job but at the same time it can be a little bit sensationalist rather than necessarily looking at the issues or the questions that should be asked potentially Another strand to this uh, Harsenhutl genus war. Salverson rolls in on, on Genus's behalf. That's that's how I'm seeing this. That's how I'm taking your uh, your suggestion. Right, guys, we're going to wrap it up for today's edition of the Football Social Daily. Happy Valentine's Day, Jim and Marley. I hope you have a love-filled afternoon. <laughs> we're off to Together, share. Yeah, we were <laughs> off to share spaghetti bolognese like Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> I don't. Th- I don't think Greg's do spaghetti bolognese. You're gonna have to go somewhere else. You have to spread your wings further afield. Oh, Jim's buying anywhere. I don't. I don't <laughs> let him take me anywhere. <laughs> Easy date. Fair enough, uh, indeed. Right, that's it for today's edition of the Football Social Daily. Obviously, we are here every day of the Premier League season. You know the drill by now. Hit subscribe on this episode and you can get access to a brand new show every single day of the campaign. Tomorrow is Premier League action. Manchester United up against Brighton and the return of the Champions League in 2022. We're going to be chatting about all that in the days to come. So don't forget to check it out and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.